pono ki te kaupapa puna ko te reo. Stay pono, stay staunch to the kaupapa and, you know, progress to the reo. E ngā mana, e ngā reo, e ngā kārangaranga maha o te motu, noi mai ki tēnei hōtaka e kia nei, ko Te Ahikā. I'm Justine Murray and this is Te Ahikā, the second to last show for the year. We'll wrap up 2012 with our Christmas show next week. Kia ora nō ngā kaupapa i tēnei wiki this week. While schools are fighting for their survival and face closures all over the country, Ōturu School in Kaitaia reflects the innovation teaching and philosophy that can make schooling magical. The best way to get the message across in terms of understanding, comprehension, the best way to get that across is to make connections to reality. Fraser Smith, headmaster of Ōturu School, Kaitaia, joins us soon as an example of a school harvesting kai, making rongoa and using all manner of natural resources to educate their tamariki. And we end tonight's show with an archival recording from 1994 where Dr Huirangi Waikirepuru talks as part of a lecture series at Canterbury University. Where did Matauranga Māori come from? Who is this Matauranga Māori. Who does it belong to? Who is it for? And who are the custodians of Matauranga Māori? Now I raise that question for the simple reason that we are talking about the language, the dialects, the failings of teachers and the situation that we are in. Koe ranga kaupapa kōrero e hariake nei. That's what's coming up in Te Ahika. Te Ahika, Radio New Zealand National. Now you're holding a placard, what does it say? Kahunga nei te kohanga reo National Trust. Te taonga ei, te reo Māori, whakaora te iwi katoa, te reo Māori, oi. Last year in July, hundreds of whānau gathered in Wellington in protest to support the kaupapa of Kohanga Reo. Their outcry was simple. Kohanga Reo is about kaupapa Māori and therefore shouldn't operate within the confines of a mainstream framework, ECE. Early Childhood Education, which is why last year an urgent case was personally delivered by Dame Iritanata Fifirangi to the Waitangi Tribunal Officers. Fast forward to October 18 this year, and those findings were released via the report Matsua Rautia. It included recommendations for the Crown to acknowledge and apologise to the National Kohangareo Trust for the failure of its ECE policies. I visited Waifetu Kohangareo in Lower Hutt to get reaction from the whānau. This year, Te Kohangareo or Waifetu celebrated its 30-year anniversary. This morning, like clockwork, the day starts out with karakia and waiata. I know that I'm a slight distraction for the tamariki, so I stand at the back of the classroom holding my two microphones. After Waiata, I have a chat to one of the Kayako teachers. Ko Rogan Tarirau Takuingua, mi tipu mai a riponeke nei, e ngari no ruato ki te tahi taha oku, ai te taha ki taku whaia, ai te taha o te ure tārewa no te arawa te tahi taha ona no Ngātitu Whareto Anooki. What's your work? What do you do? I'm a kayako. I've been here since June of this year. 
Tell us a little bit about um, Te Kohanga Reo o Waifetu. Ko Te Kohanga Reo o Waifetu, koe nei te tehe o ngā Kohanga Reo tuatahi ki a huaki, i te motu nei, he Kohanga Reo a marae tēnei, he nui ngā hua o te Kohanga Reo nei, pēnā he hui kai te marae nei, ko vātea ngā mokopuna ki a hari te tautoko i te karanga o te rā, mēnā rā he hui hea harā nei te marae, so what you just said was, um, this is was this the first marae opened? This was one of uh, the first, the first base, first marae base kohanga opened in Aotearoa. Yes, and mm. so what? No matter what happens here at the marae, whether it's hui, whether it's um, hui, whether it's hui, tamariki, always they always take part in, in the process and in, in the pohiri process and in any hui that there is here at the marae. Mm. So um, Rogan, if you don't mind me saying, you're you, you're quite young. <laughs> and how how long have you been um, uh, supportive or an advocate of Te Reo Māori? Um, and how important is it to you? I'd have to say, if it wasn't for this kaupapa, if it wasn't for Kohanga Reo, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be, and my whānau wouldn't be where they are right now. This kaupapa is a whānau-driven kaupapa, and when we came into this kaupapa, um, our whole whānau came into this kaupapa, and it had a huge, a huge effect on us as a whānau. Um, and me as a mokopuna of the kaupapa. I've been speaking to Reo since Kohanga, um, and I've been to Kura Kaupapa, through Kohanga Reo, Kura Kaupapa and Whare Wānanga, all in Te Reo Māori. Um, but it's, been a, it's had a huge effect on our whānau, on us as a whānau. Mm. Peggy Luke Nahike oversees the operations of the marae, including the Kohanga Reo. And on the same day, a pōhiri is held for inland revenue staff. Yes, it's one busy marae. Peggy talks about how the report impacts upon their Kohanga Reo. I'm from here. My father was from Ngāruahine, from Taranaki, so, you know. Um, my mum is... Uh, a daughter of Ihaia Pukitapu, and he's the gentleman that's buried out the front of the marae. Um, and so I was born and born and bred here. So, Peggy, um, obviously, uh, you know, we're here to talk about kohanga reo. If you could go back a little bit by telling me um, the establishment of Waifetu. Okay, kohanga reo was born um, as a result of the kaumātua hui uh, that was held here. Um, Tutangata was born in 1977 and the Kaumatuahui uh, was held here in 1979. So what's Tutangata? Tutangata is, is uh, to stand tall and it was uh, the government um, a, approved government program put out by uh, the then Minister of Māori Affairs, Ben Couch, and the Secretary of Māori Affairs that was brought in there, Karapukitapu. And it was about inverting the triangle where... Um, where the people had a say. I mean, in the 1970s, Māori people um, equaled underachievement across all fronts. And so the pakeke that came together, um, the, the youngest would have been 60, the oldest was uh, a gentleman called Dickie Barrett, and he was in his late uh, 80s. Um, people like Henare Tufangai and um, Sunny Waru, uh, Monita Delimere, leaders from around the country, you know, um, from the north right down to the south. I remember vividly uh, Joe Karetai. You know, uh, they were brought together and they had a wānanga and as a result of that, um, the, the kaumātua from the mutu said that we must start to stand tall and regain who we are and Kohanga Reo was born as a result of that. Um, the Department of Māori Affairs, I worked in the Department of Māori Affairs then and worked with Eritana Tafifirangi, Dame Eritana. Who recently and, resigned from Te Tauraferi, but she's still very much busy, yes? Oh, she's always busy. Eritana's always busy. There was a small group of people that went around the countryside to push Kohanga Reo, and it happened. It happened. You know, I must say that the national government um, pursued that. And so, but but here we go, 30 years on. We've been operating for 30 years. Yes. And had your birthday this year. We had our birthday this year. And I'm very proud to say, as um, in this community here, 
our grandfather made sure that we were all we all succeeded in the English language, right? And we were taught how to manaki ngā manuhiri when they come to the marae. Mm, what was missing for <coughs> my generation and others was the reo. So we never heard the reo spoken, only in the homes where there were speakers or here on official occasions. And when we were asked to put our children into this thing called kohanga reo, mm-hmm. absolutely. Now I have three children and two grandchildren. My three children speak more than two or three languages. My mukopuna uh, within the ambit of kohanga, and it's great, you know. This report that's come out, yes. uh, it's a long time coming. Um, I think that the government should apologise for the damage that it has done. And uh, now I say that in, with a balanced view, hopefully, that we were as much to blame. In the, in the early days of kohanga, the first 15 years, our people owned this kaupapa. And somehow it slipped into government hands. So this report says there are certain things that have to be done. And I know that our view here is that regardless of government, regardless of even the National Kohangaro Trust, our kohanga will remain. Mm-hmm. Now, you think that's fair, Hanamu? Yes. <laughs> that's that, one of my sisters. <laughs> um, and so how that takes place, kohanga at the moment has to meet two two types of regulations. One is the mainstream ECE regulations. It's early childhood education. Yeah. And what does that involve? Oh, look, it, you know, uh, they, they've cut a lot of the regulations down, um, but it's, it's very prescriptive. It's like this. In 1991, when the um, Tomorrow Schools happened and there was a revamp of um, regulations... Kōangaroa only had to meet 17 requirements to be licensed. Right. Now you're talking well over a thousand. Some of them have been collapsed, but most of them haven't. You know, and and so it's very difficult. Yeah, and now that's that's one side, and the other side is our kaupapa. So there's a mismatch, and hopefully this report will enable some. Uh, entrenchment to be done so that we can operate as our way. In the early days of kohanga, we didn't care what mita our children spoke as long as they learned te reo. You know, today it's different. Iwi are more resourced than they were 30 years ago, so, you know, um, what priority do we as Maori people put on our children? And, and I must say, I'm not putting down the efforts of the Kuangareo National Trust because I worked for them for 14 years. I got paid to do a job I loved. And, um, and I, I've had the, the luxury, because of the National Kuangareo Trust, to go into Kuangareo up and down the country. You know? Um, and so, you know, if it means that we have our own way of doing things, we have our own licensing requirements, it is done by the Trust, or there's an amalgamation of um, iwi resources pulled together to support kohanga, great. But something's got to happen. The very core of kohanga reo is exposing children to te reo Māori. That means 100% of the time te reo Māori is spoken. In recent years, the threat of losing the Māori language remains a constant headline in the media. Academics question the quality of te reo and how few Māori are fluent. However, according to Peggy Luke Ngaheke, that's not the case at Waifetu Marae. A lot of people say the reo is dying, and I question that. Really? You yeah, do I question do. that? Absolutely. I mean, all the academics say that, you know, it's... Well, they need to come to where the people are, you know, and I can tell you here in this community here that the, the reo is alive and well. We have, we have graduates that are now kaiako, now kohanga. You hear our children speak Māori, unlike what happened 30 years ago. We, all of us are more into the reo, and um, it, it's, a, it's a pride thing. We're proud. We've had over 687 graduates from this kohanga here. You know, may not seem like a lot, but it's a lot for us. And they've gone on to kura, they've gone on to successful study and jobs, you know, um, and they're good people. Mm-hmm. And kohanga was designed, if you talk to Dame Miritana, She'll say kohanga was designed as the social ethos to um, 
create good citizens of this country, and I believe that. I absolutely believe that. Our children are more culturally intact. They're quite. They have an out. Uh, they don't have a closed view, um, and and they have a they have a view which, which might be challenging to to people of my age and and a bit younger or a bit older. Um, but they they are confident in who they are, and you know our small kohanga here is proud. We're really proud. Yoda. Kia ora, Peggy. So the report was released on the 18th of October, and I just briefly skimmed over it last night. But you know what? You, you did speak about it earlier. But what? When you read the recommendations, you know how, how does that affect um, this court? Well, kohanga at well, a grassroots level. We were the first marae base to operate, and we're still operating out of the out of the first five that started. Kokiri Seaview down the road is the second. It was the first Kokiri, uh, the second Kokiri centre to operate through the country, and they're still operating. There's two things about the report. One is why has the government not responded now? Now I hear through the the, the grapevine. Oh, about the report, right? Okay, yeah, gotcha. About the yeah. report. Yes. Why has there been no response? Because there's, there uh, there are uh, uh, survivability issues there. Unless they respond, where does, where does the kohanga going? The trustees of the National Trust have been around the country, yeah, yeah. and no doubt there'll be some feedback about what kohanga are saying. But presently, you know, it's like this. Our kohanga reo here is funded, and we are not funded on parity with anybody else in the early childhood sector. Kohanga reo. So there's an equity issue here. There's an unfair issue that needs to be addressed. And the report, I think that the Waitangi Tribunal report was great in that it identified the things that need to be dealt with. I'm not quite sure about one person being in the Prime Minister's, Prime Minister's office. Yeah, you're talking help. about a new role that may be yeah. created out of the but report. But for one person? What about the, the communities? We, we, whānau, hapu and iwi can make decisions. Why is there... What will, it, what will that role do? What will it accomplish? Um, but definitely there has to be some traction with the Department of, with the Ministry of Education and the way forward, you know, and the way forward. And so it's a, it's a hard task and, again, it's all about regulatory control. We saw um, the puna, uh, puna Reo in Hawaii and it was such a natural thing. And I, I sort of had a bit of... Did it remind you when Kuanga started? It, yeah, it was. You know, Kuanga was a happy experience. Now it's quite traumatic in that you've got all the you've got two sets of requirements to meet, and it's unfair because it it erodes our co-papa, you know. And for that reason alone, uh, I commend the Kuangareo trustees, the Kuangareo trustees, for taking the stance that they did. I mean, <clears throat> one thing that hasn't changed is women keep this movement alive. They do, <laughs> you know, and the men fall in line. <laughs> Kia ora, Peggy Luke Naheke, and you heard earlier from Rogan Tanino and the Tamariki from Te Kohangareo or Waifetsu in Lower Hutt. Now, if you'd like to hear that kōrero again, you can head to our webpage, radioNZ.co.nz. Check us out on Facebook, Fano Ma, just search Tiahika, that's T E A H I K A A, or you can email us, Tiahika at radioNZ.co.nz. Ngati Wai Ngapuhi Fraser Smith is unusual in that, as a local headmaster for Ōturu School in Kaitaia, he's also a gardener, beekeeper, chemist, orchardist and philosopher. Marae Rakuraku toured Ōturu School earlier this year. This is your ritual morning walk? Yeah, I'm just going for a little bit of a ritual morning walk. And sort of touch a, base with the kids? Touch base with the kids, meet and greet. And, um, it's like the first thing I did was pick up that shagai and put it put it in my pocket to look after for the day. <laughs> oh, I was I found it in my bag, Mister. I didn't know I was there. Oh, that's all right. Then I'll look after. Oh, it, wow, this is beautiful. Oh yeah, this is our this is our um this is our, our registered kitchen in through here. So this is our mosaic kind of, of garden fairyland. Fairyland. Um, there's fruit trees all down the back there, and here's Brittany. She's been inspecting the fruit trees as macadamia nuts and then we've got a macadamia nut crushing table. So this is there. all within the confines of the school so oh, yeah. I'm guessing kids are just free to walk through there? They are with respect yeah. because there's 
Um, we've got a mandarin orchard down there, and then there's guava trees and things like that. So a lot of the time this area is like a teaching resource. So as we go through um, at the moment, come, to, come and have a look in the kitchen. As we go through, the kids, um, the kids have been picking guavas at the moment to make... Uh, guava jam for their nice. for their toast in the mornings. So we'll have a look in there and see what's going on. How's that rongoa working on your nose? <laughs> you keep putting it on, huh? So we make rongoa kawakawa with a bit of olive oil and beeswax, and it's 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 a staple. We use it all the time. Hey, so, what time does school start? Well, we, <laughs> we must be nearing towards nine o'clock. Yeah, we kick off at nine. But these, <laughs> these guys come in first and have breakfast. So, well, have a look at the, oh, have a look at the breakfast crew. This is George. <laughs> what are you doing, George? Uh, um, I'm cleaning up. Very good. Kia ora. Kia ora. Hotel. Tamarikima. Ooh. Ooh. What's your name? Tian. Tia. Tian. My name is Jasmine. My name is Jazikwa. My name is Mwangoro. And you're having a parakuihi? Looks like you had toast. Nice. So how many kids come in and have breakfast each day? Oh, it's about 50 kids at the most. Yeah. Usually between 20 and 50 children. How many tamariki are actually here? At the school? At the school, we've got 125 today. <laughs> so these kids have run out of jam. That's the last jar of jam, so they're going to make guava jam. So, so this week, do they jam, have to bring anything when they, when they come? No. And is it open to any kid? No one needs to sign no. up? or no. uh, it's, it's just whoever? It's locked in with the different um, year, year groups. So they come through at different days. Oh, for, yeah, for Shane in the kitchen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just everyone gets a turn. Dum, dum, just, just, no, but I mean yeah. in terms of the kids, is it just whoever's hungry that day, the kids just turn time. in? Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. And they don't have to bring any money? No, or? no, no. Cool. Um, well, these ones who are helping out are just naturally kind and helpful, aren't they? Exactly. Yeah, thank you. George. We've got a free lunch pizza. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, um, yeah. Which, yeah. They, which they make anyway. Yeah, yeah. Nice. But um, the wheat picks and the milk are, are donated, aren't they? So yes, that cuts yeah. down now. So Fonterra, we do the Fonterra milk, wheat picks, um, sanitarium. That's all good. That It's all a big help. But having this room is fantastic because it's used all day, every day. Registered kitchen, products for market. And this room is located right next door to the garden, which is where you bring produce straight in yes. here. And then the beehives are just down the back, really close. That's our extractor, honey extractor over there. They can still use... The honey extractor is the thing that looks like one of those flash hangi cookers. Yeah, 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 like an old-fashioned whirly gig washing machine. Yeah. Was that made here? No, we, we, we got a ground and bought it, but yeah, we make the honey here, turn the handle and out it, out it spins. Yeah. Over there, that's a dehydrator. That was another donation. Um, and we're, That's to dehydrate some of the fruit. Yeah, we've got our fruit. Um, at the moment, there's figs we want to try out as well. So. Yeah. Figs, figures. Persimmons are going there at the front. Yep. Persimmons. Yep, we try those. There's, mm. there's plenty of things to work with. Lovely. I heard a bell go, so yeah, bell go. does that but mean that you're means, out? No, it means, <laughs> it means the kids are going back to class. Yeah. Shane's okay, he's released for the first few hours, yeah. few hours to do a bit of thinking and um, get organised, and then he's all go. Mm. How Shane's... long does it take for the kids to resettle in after a break? No time? Six weeks, no. Oh, yeah, yeah. Holidays, you mean? Yeah. yeah. They're actually quite relaxed when they come back in and they, they settle in immediately. Yeah, they're right into it. Yeah, they're right into it. We, I, s I took a group down, two kids down to talk to the first-time principals, um, just in the holidays, and the Minister of Education, and that was really interesting because what the kids said they would like to have in a school, they're talking about things like on that context that we were just talking about, they're saying that they get 
bored at home. So at school, they want to get away from home and they want to come to a place that's interesting, where they feel safe, where the learning is exciting and real, and they have a say in what they're doing. That was pretty simple. So we can make a school like that, no worries. That's pretty articulate for kids to voice that. They know what they want. And, and, um, yeah. they, and they need to know what they want because there's a big world out there, you know. Um, thinking skills are really important because college next year, year eights, are going to hit a totally different system and they're not going to get what they're getting here so they have to be able to organise themselves and say what they want. Fraser, how long have you been here for? 10 years, 12, 12 so, years. So you've been seeing kids coming through from five all the way through? Yes, I've seen the first and cycle. And seeing families of them as well? Yes, seen the first cycle go through, yeah. Yeah, that's been really interesting. And do you find that they stay and they go all the way through? Or what's the attrition oh, yeah, abs like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Used to be we had a, a group when they were year when they hit year seven because it's an intermediate down the road. So and we go to year eight. So there was a tradition where lots of kids year seven and eight went through to the intermediate. Now we'd be lucky if ten percent do. They choose to stay here. Yeah. So that's all. Okay. And why wouldn't you? Well, that's right. It's all. There's a, a huge choice of schools in Kaitai area. We're very flexible in the whole area, and every school's got different strengths. In fact, in the early days, um, about eight years ago, there was falling rolls everywhere. It was a tradition. And so we set out to develop our own special character school, you know, in terms of... In terms special character in terms of what can we deliver that's special to these kids and we just continued with So has that taken creative thinking? Absolutely um, thinking is, is, is part of our curriculum we've got a whole thinking document based on what we expect the kids to have covered from 5 years to 13 years old right through the school and we want to have them be able to tick off all of these thinking strategies and tools. And a school can only really be as successful as a supporting community. How supportive is the community? The community is... is, is OK, I did a survey a few years ago when we were setting up our charter and the community came out with 100% support. I think we had one, one, one family not send in a written reply, but then Dad came in and talked to us, and they really agree with what we're trying to do. They want kids to be able to work towards... Um, they call it self-sufficiency, which is another word for being um, independent and, and sustainable. Yeah. So... So then we wrote a mission statement and we sent that through and broke it down and asked them to, you know, unpack it, pull it apart and make their comments. And that came back really positive as well. But what, what, what's actually happened is, in ways of support is that the roles doubled in the last three years. I call that support. And it's not doubled through media, I don't think, although media do back up or add sort of um, extra cohesion to what we're doing, give us more grip. But but it, it's through word of mouth, it's through um, what's happening, through neighbours talking across the fence and whānau speaking together and just general recognition that kids are happy and doing well here. So this is all set at the back of the school. And here are the beehives. Gosh, it's a while since I've seen bees like this. Yeah. So how many bees are we talking are here? Oh, probably, probably, I don't know, 60 or 80,000 in each hive. Holy moly. What, what's happening now, because it's winter's on the way, the drones are getting evicted. There is no further use for them. All they mm -hmm. do is eat, so they get kicked out. But I, we've still got to get in, take the honey off these, it's just... And how often are these getting cleared of honey? 
well, you know, twice a year. I've got to get in there anyway, so just to test, just to check, check on the health of the hives, and um, we we use a Varroa treatment strip, unfortunately, which is a light toxin which doesn't kill the bees but cuts down the Varroa population. So we take the honey off, check the health, check for disease, and it's time to put some more Varroa strips in for winter. What's Varroa? Varroa's a, a little mite that was introduced somehow into the country quite recently and it just wipes out beehives. It's like a flea on the bee. Not now how involved are the kids when it comes to we've got, maintaining? Every time I do it I've got kids working with me. So I've got six bee suits, we'll put a kids in suits and we'll come down and work on the bees. No kid has ever been stung. Yeah, but it seems like the reporter might be. I can just hear it. Oh yeah, I'm the only person who gets stung for some reason. (laughs) I don't wear gloves. I'm a bit casual. That's all. Oh yeah. (laughs) And here we have some more fruit. Lemons. It's tuttle growing in there because there's a wet patch. (laughs) So they've got another wet patch over there. So I filled that up with tuttle. And these are our chooks in here. Yes. Um, (laughs) Tracy, I'm going to bring some. I've got a batch at home of uh, young ones oh, yeah. and a little mother hen and a whole lot of young ones, so I'll start bringing them in. Okay. Because, um, oh, I, because I was in Margaret's room with the little E's yesterday and she was reading the kids a story about this hen and eggs and all the rest of it. And I said, well, do you want a hen and some eggs that have just hatched? So she was going to put them by her room because oh, okay. they'll really look after them. Yeah. They keep kicking their water over and... Yeah. You know, so they'll that'll keep them happy. They'll yeah. they, when you do that with kids, they they end up naming the chooks. Yeah, yeah, of course. And so you know, like oh, one one. Even year, though these would be like country bumpkin kids. No, they're not. They they come from Kaitaia. These oh. these kids um bus in from Kaitaia. They're no they're no country bumpkins. Because <laughs> you're only like five minutes away from Kaitaia. Yeah, I know. Eh? Yeah, like, yeah, it yeah, seems not... like we're right in the middle of the country. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was just out just out around the corner. This was all to do Māori school, so um, in the old days, this, this was the horse paddock where we are now. The Manai's just up the hill, and this was quite a Māori community. But it, yeah, so so the bees at the moment are facing a bit of opposition because honey's turned into a big thing. When I first put hives in the school... How long ago was that, Fraser? Oh, we've had hives for 10 years. Um, they, there were no hives around, but now beekeepers are vying for position all around the north because of the Manuka honey, and so we've got, I just noticed the other day, someone slapped in about 60 hives just down the flat down there, that's about half a K away, you know, so these so guys... So if you've got two hives here that can attract 20,000 bees... Well, I've got six, 60... 120,000 bees, say, in there. 60 hives can attract. Well, they'll hold, yeah, 60 hives will hold. Say if you just take 60,000 as a number, um, 60 times 60,000 down there, and they're all competing for the same food source. So we're going to be faced with a bit of competition. But there is some kind of ruling. There are some rules, aren't there, around that? There was an honour rule amongst beekeepers, but it's... um, it's not being observed and what was in that any any places. Basically, I, I, where I saw it was as a, a flight path. A bee will maybe travel two k's in one direction. So if you keep your sights two k's apart, that was fair enough. Half a k is not very nice. Now we're walking towards the veggie garden, which um, is yeah, we've just come through the mandarin orchard. Now here's, this is the guavas, these are the guava juice. Oh, this is what guavas look like. Are they like a plum? Oh, I might have a try. Can you eat the skin? Yeah, you can, I just suck the juice out. Mm. With the seeds, that's a superfood. I just found, I just researched the other day with the kids and we found it's the highest, one of the highest antioxidant fruits there are. Like... Like more than blueberries or all those other little berries. I don't know what they call that. It's a, but it's a little, yeah. That's a little red guava. 
more lemons because the kids wanted refreshing drinks, so we planted <laughs> lots of lemon trees. And, um, they wanted the silver beet for boil-ups, and they're making their own school lunches and things, so they're always planting stuff. And the, but the thing is that the kids have to be involved in the planning, and so the kids have set up calendars in their classrooms, and, they, and they've got... Um, Part of their planning is that they've got charts of suitable seasonal plants for different times of the year, when to plant, when the harvest time is, and all the rest of it. And then it's kind of like you think, you're thinking forward or backwards. You're thinking forward to the product you want, and then you go back to the process to get to the product. And this is, this is what the kids are learning too? This is what they're doing now. And they're, and they're taking things full cycle all the time. So this is the knowledge that their parents and even maybe grandparents have, have lost? In a way, we've got grandparents coming to learn how to make rongoa, and the kids are teaching them. Now what are all those... I mean, we've just walked into some bedded okay. plots here, oh, and they've a, got signs and stuff in them. Oh, each, each sign is a class, so the class has decided that there's too much confusion about whose garden was whose, so they've, <laughs> so they've named their gardens. Oh, so, man, so, these gardens are flourishing. So Nafitu is that belongs to that class, and and so more on. silver beet. You, you can see the strawberries. There's a big big yes. run on strawberries. I thought strawberries <coughs> was flavour of the month. Jake, can strawberries um, flourish up here in this weather? Mm-hmm. Well, it looks like they can. Yeah, yeah they're doing well. Um, and what they're doing now is they're picking the pups and transplanting them into pots. Oh, I can see the hua hanging on a trellis over here. Um, awesome. We've got a... I saw this guy, I was at the Matariki um, celebrations. This guy came up, I think he was from Taihape or somewhere, and he was making music, musical instruments out of hue. So we thought, well, we'll try and grow them on a on a trellis, see what, see what these things are like. Yeah. <laughs> In those big long stems. Wow. I just think, wow, that's the cool. potential, potential for musical instruments here is just fantastic. But there's also learning about where the old people used to use hue, because there were lots of uses for those. Oh, so when did... <laughs> yeah, lots of uses. When did you um, set up the trellis, and how long have these been growing here for? Well, these are just... Um, we built this trellis just last year because... We started to get influxes of orchard raiders, so we put a little deer fence up to s- stop the deter orchard them. raiders. Deter, doesn't stop, <laughs> but it's it's a physical. It, it looks it's a it's a what a you can see it looks like a boundary anyway. So we just planted it then. So we've got passion fruit and stuff growing along. We'll oh, we'll end yeah. up with this whole area just being just growing. But you know, like. Um, in terms of, like, having something, a way, a, a topic to teach or something to teach about, if I was in a classroom, I could come down here, I could pick a couple of hue, we could have a really good look, do a little bit of research on them, find, about, find out about the traditional uses, find out about some modern uses. We've got five computers, at least PCs, broadband in every classroom, and smart boards, the big ones, so that the teacher can model, the kids can work in groups, um, do the research, do all the thinking, and then make a plan on where to go next with that. Um, the hands-on, I mean, I just thought, hey, yeah, what, ab- nice. what about if we put the honey in the hui? Oh, no. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> What a what a neat way to what a neat way to save your honey. Right. <laughs> so I I'm guessing it wouldn't be unusual for kids to spend an afternoon in the garden. Oh, absolutely. No, no. no. Um, most afternoons there'll be kids working down here because they've they've got their own gardens. It's just it's getting harder with the thrust on um, you know literacy and numeracy and there's a pretty pretty um, what's the word urgent. There's a strong sense of urgency in a lot of schools, and there is here about teaching, reading, writing, and maths. But having said that, the best way to get the message across in terms of understanding, comprehension, the the best way to get that across is to make connections to reality. 
Into their reality. Into their reality. Uh, we did this thing, I, I did this reading lesson with daffodils and happened to be daffodil season anyway, so that was great. Sent the kids out and said, now I want you to go and pick me one flower and I want it to be a daffodil. They all went running out, <laughs> came back with about 20 different types of flowers and only two of them were daffodils. <laughs> They'd seen pictures of daffodils, but no. So that, that idea of connection, you know, it's like... Just because their eyes are looking at you and their mouths yeah. are shut doesn't mean they're comprehending. <laughs> Kia ora, Fraser Smith, headmaster at Otsuru School, Kaitaia. Don't forget whānau ma, it's our last show of the year next week. So if you have some plans with the whānau, getting about around Aotearoa, cruising overseas, what are you doing for the summer period, uh, you can let us know. Flick us an email, tahika at radionz.co.nz. Now, it's also been an emotional time, no doubt, for the whānau aboard the Tuwaka, Nahiraka Maitawhiti and Teorire. On December the 5th, the crew landed at Rapanui. It was a 10,000 nautical mile journey using traditional navigational methods. What an amazing way to wrap up the year. Nō reira he mihi tēnei, uh, kia rā Marae was at the farewell four months ago from the Auckland Viaduct, and you can listen to that coverage by heading to our programme library. You'll find it at our webpage, radionz.co.nz forward slash te ahika. We've heard from Otsuru School Kaitaia about what they're doing that's about sustainability and manakitanga for the kaupapa and the environment. And earlier on, Waifiti Kohanga Reo in Lower Hutt supporting Te Reo Māori at a community level. So it's fitting that Dr Huirangi Waikerepuru rounds up tonight's show with his ideas of mātauranga Māori and how it fits in with a society that's not, well... Kaupapa Māori driven. He even uses Kohanga Reo as an example. Recorded in 1994, Dr Waikere was a guest speaker as part of a lecture series at Canterbury University, Christchurch. Where did Matauranga Māori come from? Who is this Matauranga Māori. Who does it belong to? Who is it for? And who are the custodians of Matauranga Māori? Now I raise that question for the simple reason that we are talking about the language, the dialects, the failings of teachers and the situation that we are in. It's all very well to say we can go back to our kuia, our komatua, but if we do not recognize that the, the systems in which we are trying to teach our language and culture, and if we were to ask those questions, no way te matauranga Māori, mo way te matauranga Māori, we would ha- be hard-pressed to respond in the appropriate way that it belongs to the people. Because we are bound within the system of education in this country. And at the present moment, to take a case in point, is the NZQA, which requires that if you have a unit that you want to have qualified, then it must go through the process that they provide. And immediately, my observation of that is that straight away that the responsibility for that language and culture is being taken out of our hands. Now I cannot help but think of the conference of the indigenous peoples in Wollongong last year. Now I went to one of the lectures there which was being given by an Aboriginal principal of a community college but there were some people from one of the communities, communities, Aboriginal communities, who demanded, we want to teach our own children. We want to educate our own children. And we want to do it our way in our schools, in our territory. Now, 
What we have here in Aotearoa, there are pockets of this, but basically we are caught within the, the framework and the systems of the present government. There was a time when the Kohanga Reo, for instance, came onto the scene, a dynamic explosion which came out of the grassroots. And it grew of its own resources. It grew and it grew. And then it reached the point in which the government began to support it and give it funding. This continued for some time. But then as time went on, restrictions were placed on the funding. And consequently what happened was there was a great fear if you rocked the boat, the funding will stop. And so what has happened now is that we have been sucked back into the system with a kaupapa which grew out of the people, which grew out of the, the grassroots, and now it is ensconced once again within the framework of the system. So what are we talking about when we are making comments about, you know, our directions and the growth and survival of Maori language when in fact we are allowing this to continue? So I'm not going to answer that question. I hope you can answer that. And it's based on the idea, where did Matauranga Maori come from? Whose is it? Who is it for? And who is responsible for it? My second point is that of political apathy, which uh, Timothy mentioned, and the idea of everyone going on to the Maori role. And of course, the whole political arena was very much a part of Nutter's history. And we have now come back to the same scene in which we are looking at the Māori roles and perhaps making progress through MMP and uh, getting onto the Māori role. I'm a bit ambivalent about whether I'm on the Māori role or the general role. But in thinking about what Ngata talked about this morning's lecture, he referred to the idea that in time to come there will be a culture which was very much a homogeneous one of two peoples, where there was no fear of one culture taking over the other. And I wonder whether in fact the idea of going on to one particular role is any more beneficial than the other one. And I just wonder whether in fact, for me, it does not matter which of the roles you are on, except that you must be responsible for that position. If there is apathy, what has brought about that apathy? Is it what we have gone through? Or is it that we have actually lost sight of our own responsibilities to seek the best political deal that we can get by everyone thinking about the issues and voting and pursuing it through the political channels wherever they may go to? So whether you are on the general role or the Maori role, the issues are still there and it requires to be dealt with. And if you are the only Maori in that situation in the general role, then surely the responsibility is to make that position as powerful, as effective as possible. It's a basic responsibility well, I believe of being Māori. Yeah? So if we say we are Māori, do we believe that we are Māori? It's all very well to say, I am Māori. We've heard various uh, clarifications and uh, definitions of what is Māori. 
But okay, if you want to be Māori, then be responsible. If you are not responsible, then how can you be Māori? Because surely every Māori is responsible. Responsible for their tūranga waiwai, responsible for their meeting house, responsible for their marae and everything that goes with it. And I cannot help but think of these whakatauki, matematua mō i anō ki te reo Māori, ka kia i koe e Māori, e matua ware wakairo, ka kia i e marae. Now, we all, we've all gone through that, we all understand that. But at the same time, I think it is saying something that there is a responsibility to those symbols of mana. An archival kōrero recorded at Canterbury University in 1994. Anaira, a Peggy Luke Naheke with this week's Fakatoki. Fakatoaki for our kohangareo is pono kite kaupapa puna kotereo, no compromise. And so that really is the stance of Waifatu. Stay Pono stay staunch to the kaupapa and, you know, progress to the no compromise. You know, and, and I think that, um, you know, it's got to happen. In, in perhaps the last 10 years, we've been a bit lazy, but there's been so much to do on the kura front, on the wānanga front, you know, and maybe, maybe we're to blame for the situation or take some blame. But going forward, no, no, things have got to be put right. Kia ora, Peggy, Luke, Ngaheke. Next week, Mariah and I have a few manuhiri guests on the show to wrap up Te Ahika 2012 and hear a few tunes from the Ukes on Fire, a group of ukulele playing kaumatua from Thames. He mihi tēne kia koutou katoai, are taringa mai nā ki tēne hōtaka a te ahikā, ki ngā kaira wikiwiki mihi ni ngā mihi. Hoki mai hei tērā wiki mo te hōtaka whakamutunga mo tēnei tau, mai te whanua te ahikā ki a tātou katoa, mauri ora.